Unity Community of Central Oregon's podcast. February 28th, 2015 was the last time I was in any sanctuary on the podium with a microphone. I was at Lesbians in Tech. It was a really good day, and I'm delighted to tell you they changed to Lesbians and Tech and their allies when I was done. So it was a great time. 3,000 people. And my topic was using gratitude for change. Now you heard Sean say a couple things about me, so let me stitch some of these things together. I'm a trained neuroscientist. I started doing that when I was in my 50s. Years, hours it seemed, of studying, and I had just left probably three years of study. And what I identified is, and I'm a change expert, which I suck at just for the record. <laughs> and every time we looked in organizations to do change, you've all been there, you've done it in your lives, you've done it in your businesses, we would announce a change, get on it, let's do it. We'd percolate along, we weren't ready to examine things that might be breaking apart or breaking away. It would fail, and what would we do? We would announce a new change, right? So corporations are struggling with this all the time. And neuroscience tells us that if you create new synapses, leaving the old behind and jump forward, you can create change. It has to be the positivity that we're talking here, et cetera, et cetera. So can you imagine 3,000 women together, high tech, what changes are they impacting in their business and what are they gonna do? And we had a phenomenal time. And at the end of it, somebody came up to me and said, your purse is vibrating all over the areas where we had left everything behind. And I would go and grab it, and my son, who by the way, William and Katie are here with me today, and must everybody give them total forgiveness because they hate when I share any part of their story. <laughs> so I need to say thank you in advance for letting me do this. And William was letting me know his father was in a very bad place, but we didn't know what that meant. So let me introduce you to Joseph John Schmidt, my best friend and my husband for 17 years at the time that this day changed. So about 12 hours later, we would find out that Joe had brain cancer called glioblastoma. Glio is the single most brutal, aggressive, guaranteed death in medical mysteries today. The brain feeds on cells. Now, did I think it was ironic that as a trained neuroscientist who was always talking about change and how the brain worked, I was about to have a microvision of every piece of this and learn about it? No, wasn't part of it. But basically, the reason glio is such a horrible brain cancer is that it feeds off of all the blood and all the vessels in your body. So take something out, doesn't matter, it's growing the entire time. And, you know, I got to tell you, that morning, I'm thinking, this is 
great. I got a good resume, and I'm going to add paid public speaker to my career path. 24 hours later, my new title would be full-time carrier. I wasn't expecting it, and here I am faced by change that is totally out of the blue, totally unexpected, and completely unwanted. So what do you do then? Today's topic is finding gratitude to heal. Now, I'll give you the quick version. He battled brilliantly for 17 months. But the moment the steroids and the anti-seizure drugs and everything else hit his heart, his soul, his body, the man that we loved, my children's father, my best friend, was not there anymore. So these 17 months of battle were unspeakable agony and pain to the children and I. And the community came right to us immediately. And what they tended to say, and I get it, what would you do in that moment is, I'm praying for you. And I didn't know I would start having such a visceral reaction to those words. And it wasn't a good reaction. So the blows kept coming, I'll be honest. I lost my job. I, um, the kids were both in private school, so we had zero of two incomes almost immediately. So you get your act together. That's what we did. And the first conversation I had was with my son's school, which was a deeply Christian. You had to sign you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ on the check. Right? I couldn't afford that. And it was an amazing place for him for many times. And so I went in to meet with the head of development and asked if we could be in, on scholarship. I mean, I'm telling you, zero incomes immediately. And she said, you can file your last two years of tax returns. Like, huh. Exactly how that's going to help. I know what we made two years ago. I knew what we were making three months ago. But that isn't what we got here. And she said, oh, I know what we need to do. Let's pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, Lawrence, this one's for you. I looked at her and I said, just to go on record, I'm Jewish and we do not pray to a middleman. <laughs> and she looked at me sputtering, and by the way, you mostly know me as a pretty nice person. Let me tell you, during those 17 months, the word with a B that ends with an itch would be a probable thing to describe me 24 by 7. Okay? I have no tolerance for your story or anybody else's. And I'm a flaming codependent, people. I'm always about your story and your experience. But in this time, that's all gone. So she said, all right, we'll pray to God. I said, great job. And I said, listen, I'm going to be really direct. Unless you can get your Lord Jesus Christ to write a check, this isn't working for me. 
And she said, okay, then I'll just pray for you. I said, you do that. And out I went. And I'll be really honest. I got to the car and I collapsed to my knees, unable to open the door as the tears began. And there are going to be a lot of tears during times like this. So I went back across town to meet with my daughter's high school. Now we've talked little bits about this throughout the day. Karen Hanneran, the president of Mercy Girl Gang. By the way, if you get to hang with the Sisters of Mercy, you are the luckiest people in the world. The beauty, the energy of this community. And Joe was Catholic. So we were doing all the Catholic things. The kids have been through all the rituals. And I love that part of Catholicism. But having just had my hat handed to me and my butt kicked out the door down the street, I don't know what this conversation is going to look like. So I walk in, and I'm shaking. And Karen stands up and walks over and takes me by both hands. And sits me down on the couch, looks straight at me into my eyes. And she said, before you say a word, what can we do? I thought to myself, I don't know. I have no script for this. I have no idea. This is a good time to bring up, hey, could you write a check for her tuition? And before I could say anything, Karen said to me, by the way, I put you on scholarship. Everything's taken care of. This is all done. Now let's get back to what can I do for you. Okay? And in that moment, I realized prayer is an action. Think about that. And throughout the journey and even today, the number of times that I can find my gratitude when I see prayer is an action. It happened time and time and time again through our story, through the journey. Now. You're probably all way better people than I am. But I can be a little judgy. <laughs> yeah, really judgy. So here's my world. Doctor's appointments, medicine, many boxes of medicine. Sometimes 100 to 150 pills a day. And different hours. And in Glio, you go through 42 straight days of radiation and chemo. Because they know you're going to die. So why not give it everything you've got? And so the next prayer in action, or prayer as an action, is I can't interview for jobs, take care of the kids, you know, deal with all the medicines, the doctor's appointments, and everything else without some help. So some of our community said, we'll take him to his appointments. So people came each and every day, and they were with him. And they were taking such good care of him. Meantime, my judgment stuff's getting better, better, better. Because look at all I'm doing. Look at all the problems that I'm having in my life. I'm showing up for the kids. I'm up all night, by the way. They have a quote in the business, open the brain and you'll never be the same. 
which is true. And so we have some really unusual things going on at home. Suffice to say, we won't discuss them here. But when I called the um, therapist to get Katie, William, and I emergency therapy, she says to me, what are you doing for you? How many of you could imagine doing anything for yourself at a time like this? Right? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. My earrings are clicking on this one. Yes. Sorry, guys. I'm going to take it out. Okay, closer to my face. Sorry. There. Better? Yeah. Okay. So, where was I? So, therapy, right? So, I've gotten the kids some emergency appointments, and remember, there's no insurance. Oh, there's the other twist. He still works for Oracle, great company. At four months, they send you to Cobra. So we are paying for all of our medical while I'm completely responsible for him and everything else, and he's never going to work again. So, good time to get some emergency therapy, don't you think? So I'm talking, and the gal says, oh yeah, Katie can have 12. Oh no, let's give her 24. And William can, let's do 24. What are you doing for you? I said, I'm firing people. She said, excuse me? I said, I'm firing people. There are people that aren't showing up in our lives. And they are unable to do the things that we need most. And I have no time for them. And she has that deep sigh on the other end. By the way, I think I got 36 because she could hear what good I was in. <laughs> and she said, perhaps after he passes, you'll rehire them. And I started laughing a little bit like a hyena, I'm sure. Maybe it was 46 at that point. <laughs> and I said to her, lady, I have never rehired anybody for non-performance. They're gone. But I'm still running this world of judgment, always judging, judging, judging. And my gratitude practices used to be fantastic. So here's what some of them were at this point. I didn't kill anybody today. I'm so grateful. <laughs> there were people showing up in our lives to take care of Joe or receiving the emergency phone call for me to get to the kids. I'm so grateful. On his good days, boy, was I grateful. But the other thing I'm so incredibly grateful for is none of us know when these changes are going to happen and that we have any kind of control in the world. And what I am so very grateful for is Joe and I have that deep conversation of whatever amends you want to make to the children before you can't, would you do it now? And he said yes. So he and I co-wrote his letters for his children. And think about that. I'm so grateful, but that's something each and every one of us can do. I don't care where it's stuck in you. Go home and get that letter written. Throw it in the safety deposit box. Throw it under your mattress. I don't care, but get it out of you so it can be spoken while it can. So grateful. Got therapy. Doing the best we can. But remember that judgy thing? So I'm getting to all of my kids' events to the best of my ability. Now, 
she's going to be annoyed with me, but my daughter is an amazing musical talent, and her daddy got out of the hospital 24 hours before she would be on stage as the lead in Godspell, and he got to hear her sing. He was sound sensitive, and it damn near killed him, and he would never, ever hear her sing again. I'll go to the other end of my gratitude. We had a celebration of life. There was no mass. I mean, you know, come on, let's get on with it and let's bring back all the beauty of this person. My beautiful girl had the courage in front of 700 people to sing Gravity by Sarah Burrell, acapella. His gifts came through. But you know that judgment thing? So I'm hanging out. I'm recording her. I'm going to see if he has a good day and show everything to him when I get home. And there's always this amazing girl. Her name is Becca. I love Becca. Katie reminded me Lisa was over the other day. The people thought Becca was my child and didn't give her my family lineage when we were all together. And Becca was an incredible singer and performing, and never was there a mom or a dad around. Never was a mom recorded. So I being that flaming codependent I mentioned before, I recorded everything and posted it to her Facebook page. So wherever her mom and dad were, they could see it. So I'm carrying all this judgment. What's the story? Why could this be? But I'm grateful I could record it. I'm grateful I have social media. I am grateful that I could share it with my husband. It's all good stuff. And I'm struggling. I'm really, really struggling. So you get word when you're dealing with a terminal disease. The treatment must end. We've tried everything. There's nothing else to do. And there are two categories, palliative care and then hospice. If I haven't said how amazing people in hospice are, until now, let me tell you, I'm grateful that they exist. So, in the gratitude practice that I was struggling my way through, Joe went to, we were at UCSF in San Francisco at the time, and he went and he had a meeting and he began lining everything up, etc., etc., and somehow wires got switched and the doctor called and said, he's ready for hospice. And I got a phone call driving down the street the next day going, we're coming over tomorrow. I'm like, crap, what just happened? Was totally unprepared for that phone call. So this incredible woman walks into my house the next day and says, oh, you're not ready at all. But this was the group called Mission Hospice in the Bay Area that were going to be my light and my partners every part of this journey. And... Lo and behold, remember that judgment part? Guess who's the head of Mission Hospice? The mom that was never there to record her child. She was there all the time for any of us that needed her in that time and in that moment. I guess my next lesson was I probably should suspend judgment just a tad bit more, don't you? <laughs> And meantime, prayers in action. She was an answer to an unspoken prayer. Didn't even know 
that there was this group or this person, etc., etc. But as a neuroscientist, I am living in my reptilian brain. Now, a little two-seconder, <coughs> Katie, try not to throw up where you're sitting, because she has to hear this all the time when I'm rehearsing. The reptilian brain is a 15-million-year-old high-performance machine in the back of your head. And what it says is, you're going to die. It's the fight or flight, it's the lack of attack, it's everything. And what neuroscience does is teaches people, and this is what I do, to get to their frontal cortex where change can occur. Yeah, think with this kind of expertise, I could find some way. Yeah, not going to happen. So I am 24 by 7 in my reptilian brain. You know, there isn't money, the kid's dad's dying, the children are in agony, and I really appreciate people are showing up but some of them want to tell me they're praying for me. So, I'm struggling because there's got to be some way, somehow, to look at this and figure out a way through. And then a friend who's part of the neuroscience geek out crowd I hang with sent me the following quote. Trauma is change you don't choose. Healing is the change that you do. Trauma is the change you don't choose. Healing is the change that you do. That was the first time the light became apparent. So were we choosing change? No, none of it. Were we thrilled? to begin to eke out our next steps and the next parts of our lives. So I want to tell you, Joe's passing was the single most beautiful thing I have ever witnessed in my entire life, and it has some really inappropriate, funny stories to it. So he, devoutly Catholic, had the sacrament for the sick with this Tupperware of holy water at the hospital before his craniotomy from our phenomenal priest, Charles Gagan, who, by the way, is in charge of all the priests in San Francisco and works out of the cathedral. So I have had such an interesting experience over the last 20-some-odd years with people going, oh yeah, Charles talks about you. I'm like, sure he does. Anyhow, so Charles had done this beautiful thing. He was out of the country. Joe somehow knew he wanted dignity. That was the answer to his prayer. I want to go in dignity. He was so clear. And so the day had arrived. He was beginning his transition. And the night before, he, um, he was now in a coma. And he knew his baby girl was still out of the country. So he was hanging on. She got back that night, and she saw him. And I had a priest, because ours was out of the country, come in to do the last rites. And the man used Perel. Not holy water, but Perel. <laughs> we do finally call him Father Perel, and we all talk about it now. I'm pretty sure that's not a title he would like. But it got me thinking. And I remember, see, Joe is seriously OCD. Nobody but my husband would have this huge Tupperware labeled Father Gagan's holy water on top of his desk at home. <clears throat> so I brought it the next day. He stayed with us for a number of hours until I finally remembered this man 
was the most well-dressed, dapper, cheerful, beautiful human being you've ever, bigger than life. And so I asked everybody to leave. Now, steroids and all do horrible things to your body. He was probably about 370 at that point in time. So, you know, he had all those smells of those that are getting ready to pass, etc. And the nurse stayed with me, remember, headed by the beautiful woman I had been judging for so very long, and I was so full of crap. And she helped me bathe him with the holy water, mixed him, and dressed him. And then we asked everybody else to come back. Five minutes later, we smelled barbecue, and he left this world. And I'm so very grateful that that's how he got to go. Yes, absolutely. But let's go back to that memory of we're in the trauma, and now we've got to do with the healing. So did I choose to honor his every wish? Absolutely. Did I remain completely present to the children to the best of my ability? We're all in a horrible place. And we even have, by the way, all those therapy appointments that got approved. It's because, and I eventually saw the report, we were living in a concentration camp-like environment at home. So now the hard work begins. I'm not healing. Kids are just eking out. And so we began to slowly but surely make choices. I think the first huge, huge breakthrough was Katie did everything in opposite direction for college. She didn't apply, you know, didn't go see anything or do anything because she wanted every second with her daddy and do everything, and she would in this situation. And so we waited until where she got accepted. <coughs> and then we took off and went to those places. So we were at U of O. Dave, this is going to be all about you, but wherever you are. And um, Katie said to me, when we're falling in love with this campus. We've never been there. We're in California. And he, um, and she says to me, what do you think Daddy would say today about this place? And I said, well, ask. I mean, being a medical intuitive and raising a couple of them, guess what? We get a lot of good information. <laughs> and so she was like, oh, well, okay. And just then, it was the first sunny day in three weeks at the U of O campus. And all the acapella groups are going to come out into the union. Remember, I'm bringing the singing child with me. And all of a sudden, they start into a song that her daddy always sang to her. <laughs> We have gratitude, people. The next thing that happened that I have such incredible gratitude for is where does William go to high school? You know, I don't recommend being a middle schooler for any reason in the first place, but it's a necessary step in life. Being a middle schooler faced by what he's facing and feeling so alone and nobody has the kind of maturity to help him or support him. And by the way, he was still at that school, so they're busy praying for him. Um, and they don't like his mother after my little mother. <laughs> so we got to the place that we explored a high school in California called Army and Navy Academy in Carlsbad. And it's a military-based boys, all-boys school. Now, here's the conversations going on at home. 
Are you sending him into the army? Have you given up all hope? What on earth are you doing? He's too fragile to him. Well, guess what? William chose to go there. We chose together. There were some heavy pennies in checks being written, but none of them had to go to the Lord Jesus Christ, so I'm good. And so he went to this school. And we all have post-traumatic stress, people. I'll be honest with you. And I don't know what any of us are going to do. Therapy's not working. Um, I'm trying to scientifically work my way through how everybody else is functioning. That's very annoying, by the way. <laughs> and he gets there. And he was doing typical teenage things of people in grief. And they taught me the most amazing lesson of the world. So remember, we all have post-traumatic stress. And for anybody to act or do the things in a typical society, he might have been expelled, suspended, whatever. But the men and women that have served our country have seen probably more post-traumatic stress disorder than any other people in the world. Unless you're one of our therapists in the room, and I apologize. <laughs> so every time he was having his moments, they asked him to lead his way out, to step up, to get the help. So remember I said, healing is a choice that you make. What I learned is there's something called post-traumatic growth. Who'd have thunk? Post-traumatic growth. You're more resilient, more capable. You're probably a little less bitchy than I was. <laughs> and we can grow and we can heal from these horrible, horrible events by doing a couple of things. Keep that gratitude practice if it's working for you, but add some things. Remember, prayer is an action. What action? When there were people that came to me and told me what I needed. Oh my God, thank you. I'm in Amateurville learning how to do all this. One friend showed up and said, I have arranged for somebody to have the kids. I am going to do your laundry. And then I am going to take you out and I am going to get you bombed. <laughs> and I said, Amen. <laughs> but just the act of somebody doing it. So I invite us all to consider to get those gratitude practices to another level. Prayer is an action. The next thing is perhaps we can suspend our judgment every now and again and wait until we learn more about the other person's story. But I am so grateful that all the lumps and bumps and horrible things were happening because I learned so much and I met so many people that came in and walked into my heart. And then I said there's post-traumatic growth and that comes from choosing how to heal making your own choices. So the beginning of my healing was deciding I was putting the house on the market and moving here. And the amount of love and support and healing I see happening in me and the kids being here with all of you, thank you. Absolutely thank you. And then I'm going to give you one other tip. It's the music. It's the music. How many times in here have you listened to Soul Shine do something and find tears pouring down your face, right? You're like, crap, I didn't even know that was going on inside of me. But the music, and I invite all of you to do a technique 
that I've taught to companies, etc., etc. It's called the Good Day and the Bad Day Playlist. Create your bad day playlist. The day sucks. I'm annoyed with my children. The car isn't working. A check bounced. I mean, you've got the list, right? Turn on your bad day playlist. Guess what? You'll still end up in a better place. And then the good day playlist, my children don't appreciate when I share that with them on Alexa and make everybody get up to it. But your good day playlist is for the other stuff, so use the music. And so what I would like to say is thank you for being part of anyone's journey to healing. Thank you for practicing your own gratitude and making it multiply to each and every single one of us. And thank you for not judging me and letting me come up and hang out with you today.